0: Hey everyone, I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves.
1: We think self-care is important, but it can
0: simultaneously be elusive. Hey guys, well, today on Selfie, we're going to be talking about a question someone asked in our Facebook community group, which is, how do you parent adult kids? What do you do with kids who are not yet out of the house, but not really minors anymore? So BJ has some really great info on that because she has several adult kids. But 1st i I'm going to do a self-care check-in with Rue. Rue, how is your self-care?
1: I, I bought something.
0: Okay, and
1: I recognize that this is just throwing money at a problem, but I felt like I needed <laughs> an, a different, another hobby, a different hobby as self care, something that did not require a screen. So, like a true millennial hipster, uh, I bought a record player. Nice. Granted, I'm I don't identify as a hipster at all. However, um, what I like about it is that. You have to, if everything is very tactile, I guess, like you have to get the record and pull the thing up and put the record in and move the little arm. And then there's no screen. You can't skip songs. Yes. You can't jump forward. And then if you want to listen to the other side, you have to walk over. And so I put it in this little room that we have where there's a bunch of books and a little couch. And I will just sit and turn on the record player at night. Maybe I'll have a drink and a notebook and maybe I'll draw or maybe I'll just hang out and it is it is I guess I guess it's a mindful moment. I mean mm-hmm. I, I'm calling it self-care. I think it's nice and then I don't touch my phone and I just sit and I enjoy some music.
0: Totally. You know I think it's interesting that you say that because I feel like I am really leaning towards the value of the analog right now, you know like the value of the tactile and the manual, (laughs) like there is something to just experiencing that as opposed to having it playing from your phone, which is going to get tripped up or you might get a text or like, I, I don't know. I just think there's something valuable in that. Like I've even noticed for myself, like I was using Google keep for my, um, for my to do list, but I'm putting it on a piece of paper. I'm writing it out. Like I'm, trying to read physical books instead of on the Kindle. Like there's just something, I don't know, more mindful feeling when you're off of a screen.
1: Right. I am, I am currently like every day. I just, I bring a notebook. It isn't, isn't not exactly a planner because I still use my Google calendar, but essentially it's, I plan out my day in my notebook. I bring my notebook everywhere. It's just like my wallet or my phone or my keys. And there is something nice. I think, I, I feel like I, you and I, specifically because of our work and because you and I are so, um, we keep up with the news yeah. and our friends, many of our friends live in the computer Yep, that taking time away from a screen or something digital or something, you know, and anything like that is like a nice change of
0: pace for us. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, sad to say, but even like watching television without having a screen in my hand. You know. Right,
1: because you have the little screen while you're watching the big yep. screen, and then texts come on the even littler screen uh-huh. on my phone. Totally. I mean, I'm sorry, on my on my watch. Yeah, it's like watch phone, laptop, uh huh, TV, and it's, it's so too, terrible. It's too much because I'm not enjoying the show. I'm not no. enjoying whatever the heck I'm watching because I'm missing everything.
0: Totally. I mean, anyway, that, that whole concept of like delayed pleasure where you're not or distracted pleasure, like you're not actually in it. So it's just wasted time because it's not like rejuvenating at all. It's but we think that we're multitasking and it's just it's really nothing.
1: I used to do this where if I was having like I would go to get a a pedicure at like just a nail shop. And I would sit there and you know, pedicure is really relaxing where you have hot water and they're massaging and there's a hot stone and it feels good. But I would bring my laptop and do work. And then I realized like, oh, I'm getting the best of both worlds. I'm having this wonderful thing happen while I'm working. And like, truthfully, I just don't even, I kind of forget that it happened. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not processing it. I'm not paying attention to it. And so I, very quickly stop doing that.
0: yeah yeah totally.
1: Well what about you? what is your self-care like?
0: Okay I have had a bit of a journey in the last couple months. Um, so I have talked endlessly on this podcast about my insomnia issues. It has just been a long-standing issue mm-hmm. um, as well as my anxiety um, and I have not you know I, I have not been secretive about the fact that I do occasionally use Adivan. Um, Or sometimes I will use, um, Ativan is an anti-anxiety. It's a benzodiazepine, a certain Mm -hmm. class. It's a sedative. Or sometimes I'll use an Ativan, or I'm sorry, an Ambien, which is a sleep medication. And so over the past year, my insomnia has gotten so bad that I would take an Ativan almost every night to go to sleep. Very low dose. Um, Really low dose, you know. comparatively speaking. My doctor felt fine about it. I felt fine about it. But just noticed over the last year, my insomnia was not getting better at all. And this Ativan was not doing anything for my insomnia. And as I mentioned, I wasn't taking it every night. So there would be certain nights I wouldn't take it. And I was just having major gastrointestinal issues Mm. um, in addition to not sleeping. And so finally, actually, it was BJ that helped me figure it out. Because I was taking Ativan almost every day, my body had become physically dependent on it. Now, I wasn't addicted in that I didn't feel anything. Like I never felt any urge to take it, you know, mm-hmm. like psychologically addicted. Um, I didn't even notice if I didn't take it. But, you know, I'm telling BJ all this stuff. And she's like, do, do you think it's possible that your body is weaning off Ativan every single day? Whoa. Right? Because Ativan has a shelf life of six to eight hours. So she's like, do you think it's possible? Because I was noticing the timeline of like when my anxiety and when my gastrointestinal issues would come up was consistent every day. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that is possible. So I talked to my doctor about it. He was like, yes, that's possible. So we ended, I ended up over the last month completely tapering off out of van and I do think I was physically dependent on it. How do you feel? I feel way better and I'm sleeping better. Wow. Isn't that crazy? My anxiety's yeah. lowered. Now I, I don't wanna minimize that tapering sucked really bad. Tapering showed me that I really was physically dependent on it. You know? Yeah.
1: I mean i I think about I've been on I've been on Lexapro, you know, and yeah. I like, I don't know
0: when would I go off that? You know, would I go off it? What would it be like? Um, Well, the benefit of Lexapro is that you do take that every day. My issue was that I wasn't taking it every day. So I was putting myself unknowingly into, (gasps) into a withdrawal, you know, because I would take it maybe four or five times a week. Right. 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 So every second day, every third day, I wouldn't take one. And then I would be a mess.
1: I, I will say it's the times that I've, I've forgotten to take it, especially like travel will mess me up with Mm my med dosage. I'm like, something is wrong with me right now. And then I go, oh, I didn't take it yesterday Mm -hmm. and it's late today. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I carry around a pillbox like I'm,
0: you know, a geriatric. Totally. So anyway, you know, benzos, benzos are incredibly addictive. And people warn you about them all the time. I have had a hard time, and I've talked about this on the show before too, of just doctors kind of thinking I was medication seeking, assuming that I was an addict when you ask for it. But it's all very real, you know? And I mean, I I wouldn't say people shouldn't take it, but um, I definitely wasn't warned, you know, like, hey, you could, you know, you could experience withdrawal symptoms if you take it more than, you know, I don't know, three times a week or something, so... Um, for me, I don't think I will take them again.
1: Well, and and you are you still doing ambient?
0: No, I'm on nothing. I went Whoa. off everything. I wanted to get to a baseline. And the ambient, nothing was working. I mean, that's when you know also that your body's become tolerant. Like, nothing worked. And I wasn't willing to up the dose because I know that's a dangerous game to get into. You know, you, things stop being effective. And so you take a little bit more, a little bit more. I wasn't willing to do that. So I got off of everything. Um slowly. Slowly and medically supervised, but got off everything in about a month and a half. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. I know. Me too. Me too.
1: Yeah. But
0: cautionary tale, very scary.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder if people are going, Oh, I wonder if that's what's wrong with me.
0: I know. I know. Mm. Yeah. And again, I mean, I don't, you know, meds aren't a bad thing, but when you're, when you are dealing with anxiety, the benzos are really, they're just supposed to be for, you know, a panic attack once a month (laughs) or, you know, a high stress, you know, a a dentist appointment, a doctor's appointment, not like everyday use. A flight. Yes. Yes.
1: Well, do you have any, what, what do
0: you have for two thumbs up? Um, Okay. The first one I have is a sleep mask that I am in love with. It's from a brand Mm. called Manta. And I'm a little funny about sleep masks. Um, First of all, I feel like they don't always work for me. Like, I'm so sensitive to light that it'll end up peeking in. Oh, yeah. But this one is almost like a memory foam and it – it's almost like it's sunglasses, so it's contoured so that it covers your eyes, but it makes a seal around your eyes. Does that make sense?
1: I'm looking at it right now, and it reminds me of, like,
0: someone on Star
1: Trek. Yes.
0: So, well, and that is, yeah, it's true, because there it's a little thinner. So, you know, your typical sleep mask is really big, but then that will actually bother me. So it's pretty thin, but it almost – it doesn't suction cup to your face, I don't know how to explain it. This is one of those hard things to describe it, without okay. a visual. Okay, it looks
1: like over-the-ear headphones, but for your eyes.
0: It does. Yes. Okay, that's exactly it. Yes. So it cushions around your eye. Yeah. Mm. So I'm loving that. And in fact, I was on a trip recently in a room where, you know, when you go on vacation and you're like, how do you not like have um, light blocking curtains in a hotel room? Like,
1: Right, right.
0: Um but anyway it was very helpful.
1: Um Or for me there's like one tiny little light from one thing like peeking on the side or maybe a glow off like a couple buttons on the television that I have to cover because yeah.
0: it's no it's terrible. Yeah. So anyway, I'm um I'm really liking that and then my other one is um We just watched on Netflix, Pray Away. Have you seen that one yet? No, but people keep telling me about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it is a documentary about the, um, it's about basically ex-gay ministries, which is, you know, it was a series or network of Christian ministries that sought to convert gay people to straight. Right. Right. And it just, they did such a good job of just talking to people who were very open and very brave, I think, but people who used to be a part of these ministries and um, who have, you know, since distanced themselves from it. But um, man, it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, and definitely, definitely a, a good empathetic watch to just better understand people who've been through that. And also to better understand like how damaging these conversion therapies are. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that it might be a little bit uh, triggering for some people. It would. And in fact, I have seen many LGBTQ friends give that warning, you know, that if you're, if you're not, like if you're in that community and you experience some trauma around that, like to maybe watch it with a friend or, you know, just to take a lot of mindfulness in watching it because yes, very, very triggering.
1: Um, I will have to check that out. Yeah. Well, for me, I have a book and that I got for my kids, and it's called Teen, Trailblazer, Teen Trailblazers, 30 Fearless Girls Who Changed the World Before They Turn 20. And I always like finding inspirational books like this because, you know, sometimes you need – sometimes you need something uplifting and sometimes they need something analog as well. And and they, they recognize that. Um, it's a really, it's a really well done book. I think you'd like it, Kristen. And then I found these pants off Amazon. And I know you like shopping on Amazon. This is fairly new territory for me. Um, like I'll get workout t-shirts and that's about it. But I found these linen blend. I can't go full in because they wrinkle. Linen blend <laughs> wide leg drawstring pants. So they're comfy and they're nice enough to wear like they're nice like they look dressier than jeans right um and they're so comfy and i've been using them as airplane pants oh yes Um, i will say this i went to go i was on a work trip and i was just a couple hours away from my aunt so i swung by and we're both vaccinated and we both tested so i swung by to say hi and she She's 75 and she loves these pants too. <laughs> <laughs> How does it make you feel? <laughs> um, she's like, wait, where'd you get those pants from? They're so cute. And I told her, she's like, oh, Amazon. She's like, I think I have to get them. I'm like, well, you want to try these on? So she tried them on and she looks great in them. Oh, my God. So I feel like it's the kind of pants that apparently span the decades. Yes. My, granted, Timeless. My aunt is, We're going to say timeless. Timeless. Thank you. Granted, my aunt is pretty. Like she's she's pretty cool. Um, But yes, we are. uh, Yes. Timeless. I do like that. We're just going to say it's timeless.
0: Oh my gosh. I have just dipped my toes in the water of linen pants and it's, they're pretty fantastic. (laughs) It's pretty great.
1: Yes. Uh, These are coming and they're really inexpensive too. And they come in like black and navy and khaki. And you know, actually I feel like this is my golden girls moment. I I just need, I need these while I'm sitting out on the lanai.
0: Well, it's funny because I have a pair that look very similar to these. But I also – my sleepwear is that I wear – my pajama pants look very similar to these. And my boyfriend's (laughs) always like, I cannot distinguish between your pajamas (laughs) and your daywear at this point. I'm like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um,
1: Yes. So I I, I like them and my aunt likes them. So I feel like if you're between the ages of 38 and 75, you can't go wrong.
0: High praise. Mm. All right, well, it is time to chat with our resident therapist, BJ Hickman. Hey, BJ. Hi, Kristen. Well, this is a topic that I am actually quite keen to hear your advice on because I'm not there yet. But we had some people asking questions about parenting older kids, parenting kids who are in college but still living at home. Uh, There were questions around things like coexisting with an adult child, chore negotiations, having girlfriend or boyfriends over when they're adults. Um, Talk to us about parenting adult children.
2: This is something that I actually feel like I've pretty done a pretty decent job of. And I'm not really <laughs> sure why, but I'm kind of <laughs> proud of somehow finding the ability to do this well. My kids stayed home into their mid twenties and, um, and now they're adults. My son is almost 44. It's so weird for me to say out loud. And my daughter, my baby's 40. And, um, and we have grandchildren now, but, the thing that I think is most important, and I'm going to go back to a piece of advice that I remember getting um, when my kids were adolescents, and I've talked about this on Selfie before, when our kids are growing up, we're their managers. We manage every aspect of their lives, mm-hmm. where they go, what they wear, what they eat, all of it. When they become adolescents, there reach a point, and they kind of have to they kids reach this point at different ages based on maturity and that kind of thing but they reach a certain point where we need to shift into consultant roles because remembering that adolescents are practicing adulthood under our roof they're practicing adulthood under our tutelage we are literally trying to help them learn how to be adults and unfortunately what most parents do the moment their kids become teenagers, they get scared and it, rather than begin to loosen the reins a little bit, they actually clamp down harder. The rules become more rigid and more s- strict. And, um, and it's mostly driven by fear. My metaphor for this is always that we should teach or treat teenagers like toddlers. Every toddler reaches that point or that every baby reaches that point where they're kind of Easing their way around the coffee table. And you know, any day now, they're going to take that first step. And there is not a parent on this Mm -hmm. planet that the day they take that first step says, no, 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 you'll hurt yourself. We do just the opposite. We Mm go, oh, come on, come on. And we Mm -hmm. back up and we back up and we back up and we don't touch them and they fall and we scoop them up and put them back on their feet. And we go, come on. And we back up some more. That's what we need to do to teenagers. We need to go, okay here's your freedom within boundaries, go use it. And when they fall, we need to scoop them up and go, okay, well, that didn't work. What do you think we could do differently the next time? And then we keep doing that over and over and over again until they get really good at walking as adults into the world. And then they're ready to go and be the adults. Now here's the challenge that we, that kind of controlling parent And we're all controlling parents at some point, believe me. Um, But that parent that has a hard time letting go and trusting that their kids can go out there and manage life um, will continue to kind of clamp down even after their kid is 18, especially if they're living at home still. They feel like they should always be able to parent their child. And what I will tell you is I learned that the moment my kids turned 18, I I to this day and to the day I die will always be their mother, but I am no longer their parent. Yeah. I don't get to parent my adult kids. If I don't get my job done by their 18th birthday, I'm up, I'm up a creek because mm-hmm. I'm done. That's, yeah. that's when my job is over when it comes to parenting. Now, some of our children will invite us into parental advice at times. And we can absolutely step into that at their guidance and at their, at their request. But we have to be really careful about offering that information once they reach that space. Mm -hmm. Now, when they're living in your home, especially in that senior year, I was 18 in September of my senior year. So that, that, as long as they're in school and high school, the the rules still apply. They still have to have the same curfew you said, if that's what you do, the Mm -hmm. same rules around knowing where they are being reachable, et cetera. Those are going to pretty much remain the same. But once they reach that point where they're beginning to go out and they're fully responsible for themselves when they walk out your front door. um, And when they come back home, if it's to your house, then give them that responsibility. My kids started paying rent when -hmm. they were about 19. It Mm -hmm. wasn't much. And, but it was enough to make them feel responsible. They bought their own cars At that age, they, um, and they negotiated those cars. My Mm -hmm. daughter went and bought a car almost completely by herself. I went with her, but she did the whole thing when she was about 19 years old and it was amazing to watch. And she was so proud of herself. So give them the freedom while making yourself available to support them, but understanding, they get to decide what's right for them. Now, living in in your home, those negotiations need to happen around visiting girlfriends and boyfriends, of course. If you've got certain rules in your home about that or certain things that you're not comfortable with, you do have the prerogative of making those decisions and dictating them. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, your relationship with your adult children will be better if it's a negotiation yeah. and the two of you come to an agreement about what feels right for everybody, yeah. mm-hmm. not just you, because you, they don't have to agree with you and you don't, and the negotiation doesn't have to be an equal decision, but it needs to happen. They need to feel like they have a voice in the decision and that voice needs to be considered. And so be flexible. You may have this kind of rigid idea of what you think is okay, but be willing to let go of it, realizing this is an adult that gets to make her own decisions, and she's going to leave here and make them. Mm-hmm. And why not let her make them now? Yeah, and because it's it she's going to decide what she decides, and it's not going to matter where she, whether she's living on your under your roof. And so by just deciding, well, when you live in my house, this is what you do that's more about you and your need for feeling in control of the situation and this demanding of respect that we often fall into when we don't, when we don't have healthy relationships with our kids at all, um, then that, that's something you have to look at about yourself. And I will say too, sometimes you're going to be at odds with your partner about these things. Mm-hmm. And you might need to have some c- separate conversations with your partner, where you agree to this on the front end, and you know what the expectations are. Because what you don't want to do is enter into a negotiation with your kids that you already know dad's going to have a different answer to mom, and it's going to stalemate there.
0: Mm-hmm. You ne- you
2: may just need to be able to come and say, "Here's what's okay to me," but unfortunately, dad's not on the same page, and and. So we got to figure this out in a way that's respectful of everyone. And at the end of the day, that's where the negotiation ends, is that everyone feels respected. Yeah. Not just on one side. Everyone feels respected. Absolutely. So the chores, if someone lives in your home, by the time they're 18, they should already be carrying their weight. Yeah. You know, the teenage years are when they start helping cook dinner. And if they don't help cook dinner, then they, they at least clean up after. They wipe down the table and sweep the floor. They fill the dishwasher. They do whatever it is, but your kids need to be developing some of those skills so that they can have them when they leave your home.
0: And I and think that those that's teenage a,
2: years are the great year to do it.
0: I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that really is a big key to successfully parenting older children is that you're really moving towards that independence early, you know, big so time. that by 14, you're, mm-hmm. you, I have two 14 year olds, a 14 year old can execute a full dinner by themselves. Yeah, they can if you've given them the tools. Yes. So you know, like you're saying, it's like it, by the time they turn 18, it shouldn't be a record scratch. It should be mm-hmm. like a okay, and here we are, and you are a functioning member of this household already doing chores, yes. already yes. helping with cooking and cleaning, already putting groceries away. You know, that's um it. that makes
2: that transition a lot easier. And I would even encourage you to delegate some of those tasks that. You typically do yourself, going, yeah. Doing the grocery shopping, yeah. Because totally. it, that is such a learning curve. It is, and so giving your kids the freedom of, here's the list. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to know about it. Call me if you need me. And yeah. sending them to do that task is a really milestone for is a milestone for adults to Absolutely. get into. So keep that in mind. And then as your kids get older, I will tell you the gift of this the greatest gift of this is when you can parent your adult children or be a parent to your adult children in this way, when you have grandchildren, you have already earned the right to have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And let me just say, grandparents have to earn the right to have a relationship with their grandchildren. Yeah. They are not your chance to be a parent again, (laughs) to do over. They're not, you don't get to decide how your grandchildren are raised. You don't get to decide any of the rules for your grandchildren. Your children get to decide that. And when you honor that and you pay attention, if your kids, if if you raised your kids on southern foods like my parents did me, <laughs> everything fried, and my children decided they wanted to be to serve their children mostly organic foods, then pay attention to that. Don't sneak through Jack in the Box and get totally. French fries for them, yeah. Because you think they're being deprived of the fu- of the fun stuff. You don't get to make that decision because the, you're, they've made a decision about their kids' nutrition. That if you respect, whether you agree with it or not, doesn't matter. If you respect it and you honor it, then your freedoms for having your grandchildren with you as much as you want to are exponentially greater than for the grandparent who doesn't do that. And so, um. This is something that literally, like Kristen said, it starts early. And if you can move this through those adolescent into those later teen years, by the time your kid turns 18, if they need to continue to live at home for a while for any reason, which I'm honestly, I'm a huge fan of it. I think we mm-hmm. launch kids way too young. Mm-hmm. And. I think giving them the freedom to have those freedoms while not having to navigate yeah. overhead, <laughs> rent totally. and everything else and college and, and, and um, I think we're, we're setting them set them up for success. One of the um, people talking about this was talking about having a, a gap year for their, their child. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that too. I th- wish yeah. that was a tradition that the United States has always done. And so It gives us a really beautiful opportunity to to develop a different type of relationship with our kids. And I'm telling you, it has been the greatest gift of my life to be a parent of adult children and to be in their lives in the way that I am. And I respect their roles. I ended up having to have a pretty conflicting, very kind of blowout with my mother-in-law when I was a young mom. Mm -hmm. And she was in the younger portion of 10 children, all girls, except for two boys, she was the second to the youngest. She was basically parented by her siblings and her mother lived next door to her and raised my husband and his brother for the most part, because my mother-in-law worked full time, which was really unusual in our hometown at that time. And so that's how she thought parenting worked, grandparenting worked. So she thought, we would just acquiesce to her ideas about how our children should be raised. And she felt she could usurp us in that way. My father-in-law was the same way. And it it hit a boiling point. And I remember saying to her, even if I do it all wrong... They're my kids. I get to right. make those decisions. I get right. to make those mistakes. And you had your chance. And this isn't another a second chance for you. You get to be their grandparent, but you don't get to parent them or make decisions about how they're parented. And it changed everything. It took us time to heal from that conversation. But she became my greatest advocate. And what it gave me was the understanding of knowing there is so much about parenting children that is such an, an intimate relationship between parent and child. Mm-hmm. And we often get to the teenage years and think that's over. And I'm here to tell you the only period of my kids' lives that I wish I could go back and do again just because I miss it is their teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any desire to do toddlerhood again or babyhood again or anything else, but I miss the teenage years. We had so much fun during those years. It does not have to be hard. Yeah. And so rather than look at it that way, if you can continue that relationship during the teenage years by letting them have some freedoms, letting them fail, scooping them up, Loving them the way they need to be loved in those years. Mm -hmm. Don't try to get your needs met by them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It won't happen. Give them what they need. And when they're adults, this transition won't be very hard at all. And you'll actually see that it will just strengthen your relationship with them. And it will strengthen the bond that you have with them as they continue through life.
0: Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at, at @selfiepodcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You
1: can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at
0: selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care.